Our scripture reading is from for this Mother's Day is from Galatians 3, 15 through 29. Feel free to open your Bible and follow along. Verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Get that into Kevin, thank you. All right, elementary age students, you guys are dismissed to your class. You can follow, uh, looks like Mr. Johnny, or Miss Meredith, Mrs. Meredith in the back. She will go ahead and take you to your class all the way up through fifth grade there. You guys have fun. I'm going to pray for you guys as you go, and I'm going to pray for us as we stay in here and discover more about Galatians 3. Lord, I thank you for all of our kiddos here, God. What awesome kids that they are, what gifts they are from you, Lord. I pray that as they're in their classes, infants all the way up to fifth grade, God, that you would just begin to minister to their hearts right now. Lord, we are never too young to learn about the love of Jesus through the ways in which we interact or the words that are spoken. So I pray, Lord, that you would just begin through the work of your spirit to uh, reveal the love of the Father to these kids through your spirit. And Lord, I pray for us today as we look at Paul's um, very attorney-esque words that are in Galatians 3. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive the truth that you want us to hear from this passage, that it would uh, settle in there and, and then permeate out into the lives that other people would be ministered to and touched 
by those uh, words that we have heard today. And Lord, I want to specifically pray for those that, uh, thank you for mothers in this room, God, as Gavin prayed. Also just want to pray a blessing over those as this is a joyous day for a lot of us, but it can be a really hard day for others. And I specifically have the young family in mind as we uh, were part of their memorial service for Donna yesterday. God, I just pray that you would be a comfort to them on this Mother's Day, Lord, a comfort to the mothers who maybe have kids that are prodigals or wayward. And would you be a comfort to those whose relationships with their mother or with their kids are strained, Lord. And so just be with us today in all of these things. We live in a fallen world where we see glimmers of hope and goodness all around us, uh, Lord. And so that's just where we are today on Mother's Day. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, we're going through the book of Galatians, as you, many of you know already, and um, you get a sense as we read through this text here that uh, Paul was an attorney. Like, that is like attorney language right there. It's good stuff, and we're going to take a little bit of a step back from um, getting into the weeds of it all and take sort of a broader picture of what Galatians is all about today. And so as we do that, I want to ask you, um, if you could participate with me in this answer as much as you feel comfortable. Um, are you a justice fighter? Do you kind of lean toward loving this idea of law? Or are you a grace giver? Now, we're in church, the tendency is to say, oh, grace is what it's all about. And that's true, there is truth to that. But this is a not right or wrong answer. This is uh, an invitation to honesty right now. Who is more justice-oriented in this room by a show of hands than grace-oriented? Justice, okay, and then grace, just so I know the other people are participating. All right, good. All right, grace-oriented. Um, if you are more grace-oriented, you're probably thinking about other people and even letting them sort of invade your space. If you're more of a justice person, a justice fighter, you probably talk and use the word boundaries a lot in your language, right? Parents, um, who's the disciplinarian? Raise your hand if you're the disciplinarian in the family. Okay, good. And who's the one that's like second, third, 500th chances? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Someone cuts in front of you in a line. Are you going to handle it with grace? It's okay. Just pretend like I didn't see it. They're probably having a hard day. Or is it justice? I'm calling this mess out. I specifically remember a time my parents were so extreme, my dad being justice and my mom being grace. There was this moment where somebody cut, us, cut in front of us in line at a grocery store, and my dad just does what he does, and he begins to call this person out very openly and say, hey, I think the line starts back there, bud. And my mom jumps in, and she does this thing. My dad's name is Jim. She does this thing when she is very embarrassed of Jim in public. And it sounds, it doesn't sound like Jim when she says his name. It sounds like this. Jim, Jim. There's a little shuddering going on, and it's more of a whisper. And that's what happened. She, Jim. And then she went in to this person's potential story as to why they probably cut in front of him could be having a terrible day. We don't know what's going on. You know, maybe he's, maybe there's an emergency. My dad's like, well, then he should be at the ER because I'm in line. It doesn't change the fact that he's still cut in front of me. And they're having this conversation while the dude's just kind of looking at him, going back and forth with this thing. 
My dad's like, he's going to keep doing it again. If I don't call him out, somebody else is going to get cut in front of. You know, I'm enabling him by not. My mom's like, what about Jesus and grace? And we're Christians. Here's the point of my question. The point of my question is, are you this way? And if so, do you value the other side? Are you a justice fighter? And in your paradigm, is there room for the grace giver? If you're a grace giver, is there room for the justice fighter? Because here's the reality of it. Christianity is about both. Is Christianity more about law or more about grace? The answer is yes. And it feels like a contradiction in Scripture, doesn't it? Like maybe God suffers from bipolar disease. In the Old Testament, he was one thing. In the New Testament, he was another, right? Maybe God really has this loving heart and he wants to show people grace, but then he just wakes up a little moody sometimes and boom, wrath hits you. And it's kind of this question that theologians, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably wrestled through it quite a bit in Scripture. I know there's parts of Scripture where some of the grace givers just like to sort of skim over those parts of God's justice and wrath and maybe Proverbs altogether because it just feels really cold and harsh. But then there's the justice fighters, the ones who do appreciate law, who really questioned, did Jesus say 70 times 7 were to forgive them? Like, did he mean to put that extra zero in place there? Because that's a lot. And as we explore Scripture together, and as what Paul's point is today, is for us to see who God is. And as we see who God is, both parties are going to be challenged but both parties are also going to be thankful. So no matter what side you're on, just asking you today as we explore Scripture, we explore this idea, what Paul's saying in Galatians 3, can you be open to the grace if you're on the law side? And can you be open to God's law if you're on the grace side so that we can see and discover God for who he really is? Because isn't that why we're here? on a journey to see and discover God so that we know what the meaning of our very life is. So the book of Galatians summarizes this very question in 3 verse 21, which was just read. Is the law then contrary to the promises, or you could say the grace, of God? And Paul's response, certainly not. Certainly not. What's interesting about the Christian faith is that there is no other religion that fully embraces both this idea of law and this idea of grace. Both this demand of perfection along with the forgiveness of all sins. I mean, think about any religion you want and try to see how those two things work together, and you will not find it. One of the things that's interesting, even in, I'll bring it home for us a little bit more, even in our own government, one one of the things I think, the reasons why I think America has worked is because even the left is probably a representation of more of grace. 
and I'm not getting overly political, I hope not here, but the right is probably more of a representation of law. And what makes it work well is that there's friction between the two and kind of this working out of those two things. So I'm not gonna tell you which side I vote, and I'm not saying we should just stay in the middle. You should vote, you should vote off of conviction, but I think to just take a step back and observe that, there's some good in our society for those two reasons, of grace and law, of earn it and help the poor, that blesses us as a country, both existing together. The problem comes in, and this is Paul's point, the problem comes in when we take one and refuse to have the other. Not only do we miss who God is when we do that, but we also separate ourselves from other people. The end of this whole passage, where we'll go, ends in this verse. I'm skipping ahead, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Galatians 3.24, so then, no, I'm sorry, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Unity is the goal. And when we choose one of these things instead of the other, we break unity. We form autonomy. Self-righteousness comes into our life. We begin to use people. So let's talk about it. Law without grace. What does that look like? Uh, the message of the church of law is God has absolute standards, and unless you believe and obey, you will be punished, right? So those that are more law-oriented, if you take that out to the fullest extent, what Paul's saying is, you will find freedom by obeying God. You will, be, you will get God by obeying God, right? That's how you will discover who God is. And throughout history, we have seen churches and entire cultures and eras in our history take place where we just embrace law. We try to incorporate the Christian faith into the government. And how does that end for us? It ends with us today on our knees repenting for the crusades. It ends with us today repenting for the murder and the um, just unbelievably unchristlike ways in which we've handled opposing religions in the third century with Constantine. And I know there's a lot there. I know there's a lot to unpack, but I'm just going to say those things. Violence is the end when law withholds grace. Violence is the end. It's not only in our Christian faith that we have seen that. We also have seen it very recently, right, on a regular basis. You follow the Islam belief out to the letter of the law. How does that end? In a terrorist attack that is, in attacks that have shaped and redefined our culture that we live in. Violence is the end at the very end point, but we oftentimes don't live in that violence as much as we do just the uncomfortability of being around a fundamentalist Christian, being around people who are self-righteous, 
law without grace. This is what has troubled the church. This is what has uh, been arrows against the church in so many ways. Self-righteousness. It's why people don't want to step foot into a local church often, sometimes for good reason. Law without grace might not just be violence against your physical being, it is violence against your soul. This is what Paul is so passionate about through the book of Galatians. You include circumcision as a works in order to be saved, that's law, and now you're killing the whole message of the gospel. You give me dietary laws to follow, you're killing the whole purity of God's message of the gospel. My wife and I were recently reading an article that um, it's kind of gone viral. A lot of people, the guy actually resurfaces it on a regular basis because it's such a popular article, but it's called Six Harsh Truths That Will Make You a Better Person. And in this article, there's this idea that you are really, you can think about who you are, you can say, oh, I want to be this person. If you were to ask, if somebody's to ask you, who are you? You can't define yourself by who you think you are, but by what your actions prove that you are. So I'm going to tell you in advance, this is a form of law that we see. It's kind of a rant against uh, my generation and younger, the millennial generation, where there's a lot of like, I'm a snowflake, I'm doing all these things, and then there's not much productivity, like in a bad situation, there's not much productivity taking place in the workplace. So this guy writes angrily, and honestly, there's some really good truths in it. There's some things that are really good that need to be heard, but this is the summary that he comes up with. If you see law without grace as a way to live your life, he says, you are nothing more than the sum total of your useful skills. Make no mistake, your job, the useful thing you do for other people, is all you are. There's a little bit of me that goes, get up, let's go, yeah. But think about where that would lead you. Let's play this out. If you accomplish great things, like he says, and you do more than everybody else, you become a self-righteous person that thinks you're better than everybody else, don't you? And you use people as a means or as a platform to get to where you want to get. But let's say you don't accomplish those great things that you want to do. Where does that lead? Despair. Depression. Anxiety. I am only what I produce. The result of law without grace is violence. Violence against your physical body or violence against your soul. Paul says in verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. This was before they knew about the grace of Jesus. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Paul himself is saying law without grace is a prison to live in for you and for those around you.
If you are justified through your works, through the works of the law, God is not your father. He is your employer. And the problem with that is that he's a really great employer that you should never be working for because his standard is perfection. Therefore, you are in prison under that standard because as we all know deep down inside, we're far from perfect. So then let's look at promise or grace without law. So let's go to the other extreme and say, let's exclude law or any kind of moral absolutes and let's just live a life of full-on grace and love. Paul is saying in verse 21, as we looked at, that law is not contradictory to the promise of God's grace. It's not working against it. It's not in opposition to it. It actually complements it and helps you better understand his grace. Jesus came not to destroy the law. He said it himself, but to fulfill the law. I think the most prevalent way, this is probably more prevalent than even the the former thing that I just mentioned. This idea that there are no moral absolutes, that we are all should be tolerant of one another, that there is no real true religious way, that all of us have our different avenues to get to God or whatever we want to call him or her, and we should we should leave each other alone as we're on that pursuit to get there, right? That is the dominant religion in our culture if we even think that much about it. That is the dominant religion is universal moralism. Relativism can be defined as the belief that there is no universal truth, that all truth is specific to its culture or its time or you define the rules. And whatever mood you're in, that's the rules. That's the way that life needs to work. That's your Ten Commandments, or however many you want. But you cannot make... Honestly, guys, this is the most prevalent religion in our culture, and it's probably the easiest to destroy. And I'm not even trying to destroy it. It's just contradicting itself all over the place. But the problem is I don't think we think long enough about it in our culture to really see the big holes. So you cannot make any universal moral statements without contradicting your own beliefs, and I'll tell you why. Who are you to say that littering, racism, or abuse of children are wrong if this is what you believe? Who are you then to say that sex trafficking, that pedophilia, that murder is a bad thing? If we're the ones that define moral absolutes, there's many ways to God, who are you then to tell me that I'm wrong? That didn't take very long, did it? That's the basis for this belief. In an attempt to accept all religions, here's the other thing that's contradicting itself. I accept all religions, I believe all these different ways. There's no true law. There's no true foundational truth. It's just whatever you want. And Muslims and Christians and Mormons, they're all kind of following the same God, doing their own thing. Muslims are monotheistic and they worship one, 
all-knowing God, who in Arabic is known as Allah. They follow, the followers of Islam aim to live a life of complete submission to Allah. They believe that nothing can happen without Allah's permission, but humans have free will. Pulled that just from the History Channel. Gave me their best definition of it. So if you say that my life doesn't need to be fully submitted to Allah, isn't that a contradiction to what the Muslims are saying? Isn't that a slap in the face to their religion and what they hold to? If you were say, to say, Christians, doesn't matter, you're searching for God, what do we do with Jesus' words when he says, John 14, 6, no one can get to the Father except through me? Moral relativism, removing the law and just saying we're all about grace is a undermining of all other religions while elevating this one religion. You're doing the very thing you're saying you're not doing. You're actually bringing more division than before. Law without grace is not God. Grace without law is not God. James 2.14, James says it himself when he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the needs or the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. We have paradigms for which we want to understand God and categorize him as grace or as law, but God shatters those paradigms and says yes to both of them. There's this scene, real life scene, that happened in Exodus 33 where Moses is climbing up Mount Sinai, and God is giving him the Ten Commandments. And Moses says in verse 18, please show me your glory. Show me who you are. He's doubting. The Israelites aren't listening to what he's saying. He needs to see who God really is. Show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. God says, you want to see me? Here's what it looks like. Goodness passing before you. You can't look at my face because I'm too holy. But I will pass before in front of you and what you will see is goodness. The essence of love. He goes on in the next chapter. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So who is God as he passes for him? What does that goodness look like? Here's what it looks like. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But... Hold on to your seats. Who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers 
on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do you see those two things right there? Steadfast, faithful, merciful, gracious, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That is the God of the Bible. We live in the Bible Belt where we talk a lot about rules and culture, and so we talk a lot about grace at Restore on purpose, kind of to counterbalance some of the things that we think about God in terms of our culture, like it's a bunch of rules that you have to follow. But God is very much not balanced between the two. Holiness, justice, wrath, grace, mercy, faithfulness. He is 100% of both of them. It's not balance. It's an extreme of the two. No other human can live that way. No other religion presents that. And here's the crazy thing. It's not a contradiction. It seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? seems like maybe I don't understand the Bible or God's this or that. It's not a contradiction. It's one of the things that makes us as mortal people step back and go, wow, God is all of those things. He's things that I feel nervous to say out loud in front of other people. He's things that, that describe him in Scripture that sometimes I don't even want to look at because I can't even comprehend those two things working together. God does not let one little thing slide. But God can forgive any sin. If we keep the law, if we think we can do this on our own, okay, I'm going to keep the law, then we think we don't need God because we are God. If we only love and we define law and what it means, then we're the writer of the law and we're acting as God ourselves. So what do we do as people? We simply sit beneath this God that we can't fully comprehend, and we worship him. But how do we worship him knowing that we're imperfect, that we've broken the law? How do we even enter into his presence? Because the most digestible, understandable way in which we could ever understand these two truths comes out in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, according to Romans 3, 26, both the just and the justifier. Jesus is the one that set the rules in place that says this is the way the world works. This is even the way that nature works. But he's also the one that says, and I know you can't do it on your own. And so I'm going to be the one to deliver you. There's a lot of founders of religions, but there's no other religion that has the Savior come to save you from the law that he established that you couldn't keep. He is the just and the just of fire. It says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He was a hundred percent just when he hung up on the cross 
Because the wrath of God that does not clear any of the guilty was poured on him a hundred percent. Jesus was unrecognizable because of the punishment that was deserved for us. Scripture says he didn't look like a man by the time he sat under God's wrath. You would not have known who he was or what he was because the physical wrath that poured upon him was a result of God's perfect 100 extreme justice that will not and cannot clear the guilty. But it was on the same moment, on the same cross, that you see Jesus, not just just, but the deliverer and justifier who stood in your place and said, you don't have to go through with this. I will for you. And he redeemed you and he saved you. And it was a hundred percent love and a hundred percent extreme grace that we're still trying to define and comprehend to this day. The perfect man delivering the imperfect people. The gospel of Jesus will frustrate both sides. The gospel of Jesus will make enemies on all sides. At times, I feel like I'm an enemy toward the gospel. This isn't fair, God. Bring justice to this person. How do they get the same? How do they get grace? Because you got grace, son. How did you get it? Paul goes on in verse 24, and we're getting close to wrapping up here, but in verse 24, Galatians 3, he says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Here's what Paul's saying. Guardians were, they, he was just talking about being in prison, so I, I was saying, okay, a guard, but that's not what he's getting at. That word guardian is actually referencing kind of a nanny type position, a servant who would oversee a child, teach them, educate them, uh, you know, teach them all the manners that they need before they go out, teach them how to work until they go out into the world. And it's for that time they're under that guardianship. They're under those rules so that when that moment comes of them becoming an adult or ready to go out, they're ready. They understand. And his point is this. When we look at God's perfect law, when we look at this overwhelming perfect thing that we cannot keep, it's as if we are under that guardianship. We are learning how holy, how perfect God is. But when the right time came, Jesus died to then show us. And it's from all of those rules and all of that law that I'm setting you free. So now your understanding of God's grace goes deeper in understanding his law. We can't come close to keeping it. Jesus delivered us from what we couldn't do ourselves. Are you employed by God or are you a child of God? 
the message of Christianity is, I have, this is a very earthly way to put it, I have $10 million for you. I promise I have it for you. All you have to do is go into that room right there. Will you do it? That's the message of Christianity. The way in which we want to understand it so often is, I have $10 million for you, but you have to earn it. You have to work to get it. Do you believe in faith that God would deliver something to you that you did not deserve? Are you still trying to work for it? Is is Christianity more about law or more about grace? And the answer is yes. My son, who's not in here, so I'll go ahead and say this about him. My six-year-old son, I make a point every day to tell him, I love him, I'm proud of you no matter what you do. I still love you, I'm still proud of you. Every time I go out and shoot hoops with him, play basketball with him, he immediately starts trying to do all these fancy moves, crossovers under his legs. He can barely do it. He just, I can see him just pushing himself to the very end, and he'll lose the ball, and he'll get real bummed out. And I'm like, dude, it's okay. I think you're awesome. It's great. You know, good job. And I said, he said, Dad, I know, I know you love me. I know you're proud of me. But I just want you to see what I can do. I thought that is such a great way in which we can follow God. We don't neglect holiness. We don't put his law away and say, no, nah, we don't need that. We just live however we want. We know he loves us, but we want to make him proud. How could we not show him the good works after he's delivered us and loved us? That is our motivation. That is our drive. And as a result of this, self-righteousness separates us from people. Moral relativism uh, really offends a lot of the other groups unknowingly, but it's in Christianity where we see the law and grace come together that we see unity with Christ and unity with each other happen. I move in a grace-driven way. It's a grace-driven effort. I work hard because I know that Jesus loves me. I'm humble. I don't think I'm better than you because Jesus saved me. And so I can say this with Paul. Can we say this with Paul, church? Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel supersedes culture, supersedes skin color, supersedes Uh, your past moral resume, it overcomes all of these things and it puts us on flat ground to love and worship Jesus together. Law and grace, God is 100% of both. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being something that goes beyond what we can understand. I thank you for reminding us even today as we look at this that we are stuck in our paradigms. We are limited in our little fallen brains and minds. We are not perfect. And Lord, even trying to understand who you are can sometimes just frustrate us or overwhelm us. 
I'm okay with mystery. I like mystery. Mystery reminds me that you are God. I don't like contradiction, and I thank you, Lord, that you are not contradicting yourself in being both, but you are simply a mysterious God who has chosen to reveal enough to us to follow you. Lord, I pray that as we sing these next songs and take communion together, Lord, that we would, from a heart that is humble, a posture that understands we have been saved, Lord, and a, and a love for one another, that we would worship you. That we could see you a little closer today than we usually do. I thank you for even giving us kind of extreme personalities, even in this room. Some who love and see clearly the sight of your justice and then others who love and see clearly the sight of your grace. Lord, help us not to be in opposition to one another, but celebrate you through the body of Christ, even in that. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.